Our second reading this morning is a very familiar reading. We are continuing in the Gospel of Luke, as we're, where we've been spending time in recent weeks. Um, in a way, moving backwards now to the first chapter and the story of the Annunciation, uh, the conversation between the angel Gabriel and a probably 13 or 14 year old girl um, uh, there on the edge of the Mediterranean so many years ago. So listen now for what the Spirit is saying to you and to the church this morning. The first chapter of Luke, beginning with the 26th verse. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her, who is said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. The word of the Lord. Amen. Please pray with me. May the meditations of our hearts together upon your word this morning be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I know you all didn't know her, but as I've been thinking a lot about Mary Johnson, such a dear friend of this, of so many people here and so many other people, and such a faithful member of this church, uh, and as I've been looking at this text today, I, it occurs to me there's more in common than just the name Mary. Uh, I'm thinking about uh, Mary and so many other women, my mother included. Uh, I think it's a really good thing that with so much at stake as Christmas approaches, God decides to hand the reins over to women. Yesterday I was laughing uh, with some of the folks here in the church, uh, and some of you may have heard this story, but they reminded me of the time uh, when I, on a Sunday, had forgotten, realized it was Mother's Day too late, and I realized I'd forgotten to give Sarah flowers, so I grabbed a uh, bouquet that I saw here in the church. And it's a professional perk access to flowers, but I messed this one up. On the way home, down Grove Street, I thought to myself as a guy would, I don't smell anything, but oh well, probably just 
And when I walked into the, there into the kitchen and proudly handed Sarah her Mother's Day flowers without saying a word, I'm not going to say exactly what she said to me, but she basically said, take these back, they're silk. They belong to the church. Or um, the time I snuck over to a jewelry store one Christmas Eve, realizing I'd forgotten to get Sarah her Christmas present. Now, her birthday is December 15th, so I have an excuse. It's a lot of pressure for a guy to get a gift with only a two. I see all the men nodding. This is really rough. I get it. But, you know, Christmas Eve, I had a little bit of space between services. This is in our previous town. Uh, I snuck over to the jewelry store in town, really nice store. Walked in, gravitated over to a wall in the store, kind of felt familiar. Um, went over to a set of bracelets on display, looked at the styles and the price range, and over to a certain part of that wall. That part of the wall seemed kind of familiar. A very nice woman came over to help me, and in the course of her talking with me and me talking with her, she seemed pretty familiar to me, but I couldn't really place her. Um, then I picked out uh, the bracelet that I really thought was perfect for Sarah, and as I looked at it, I thought, this seems really familiar to me. And then uh, as um, I was standing there getting it gift-wrapped, I really started having a sense of deja vu, but I was under a time pressure, needed to get a good gift, uh, paid for it, walked out. As I'm, but then as I'm walking across the parking lot to my car, I thought, nah. So I called Sarah. I said, what did I get you for Christmas last year? She goes, that little gold bracelet. So beautiful. Thank you. The same bracelet I had it wrapped up for her again this year. I don't think I'm the only guy like this, though, though I'm very much exemplary of one. Um, did you hear the story of the couple who went over to the Paramus Mall to do their Christmas shopping? And somehow, and often guys do this on purpose, they got separated for hours. But they had their cell phones with them, and eventually uh, the wife called the husband. She says, honey, where are you? Darling, he says, do you remember when we were first married and there was that jewelry store here in the mall where you saw that diamond ne necklace that you loved so much? But we didn't have enough money at the time. We were so young. So I said, someday I'm going to come back to this jewelry store, dear, and buy that necklace for you. Do you remember that? Yes, she said excitedly. Well, he said, I'm in the Home Depot next door to the jewelry store uh, getting some tools. I'll meet you in about 15 minutes. Thank God the Christmas story is carried forward by women. Luke's gospel especially moves and is structured on the lives and the actions and the decisions made by women. Just read, though, she wasn't named, or he wasn't named, about uh, sort of allusion. There was an allusion made in this text we just read from Luke, first chapter, uh, to Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, who, according to Luke, only Luke, says that Elizabeth and Mary were cousins, and John the Baptist, therefore, was conceived about six months before his second cousin, Jesus. The next section after the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah and their son John, who becomes John the Baptist, is of course the story of Mary. And then before it really develops in Luke, we get a bunch of other women who show up just in this early birth narrative section. There's an old woman named Anna who encounters the baby Jesus at the temple. It makes a prophecy of his greatness. When the boy Jesus is in the temple a little bit later in his life, it still is a young boy debating with the learned scholars of the Torah. The only person who makes a quote there is his mother, Mary. 
Many of Luke's stories from the ministry of Jesus are about women. There's the woman caught in adultery, a sinner just like the rest of us. There's the woman who wouldn't give up and kept coming to the judge for satisfaction, kept praying and kept praying. There's the widow of Nain. There's the bent over woman that Jesus heals. There's the woman who gave her last two coins, two coins, everything she had. Luke's account of Easter it's at the resurrection is only the women who have the trust and the faith and the love to go early in the morning to the tomb. Luke reports that when they came back and reported to the other disciples, the men, about the empty tomb, the men assumed it was an idle tale and refused to believe them. Again, this was a culture in those days when women did not have anywhere close to the same kind of authority or clout as men. And still for Luke, it's women who bear the story and carry it forward to the moment we're anticipating now in just a few days. Of course, as we've said, the central character in the birth narrative as told by Luke especially is the person closest to the arrival of Jesus into the world, the person who made it all possible, and not just because she carried him for nine months and then gave birth, which I know isn't easy, at least I know it, I've observed it a couple of times, uh, and I had no desire to take Sarah's place in either case. Christians all over the world honor Mary. The Orthodox tradition calls her Theotokos, God bear And they revere her as Catholic Christians do. Uh, Catholic Christians pray to Mary. They hold the doctrine that Mary uh, gave birth to Jesus, was con- had Jesus conceived in her body uh, while she was still a virgin but also the doctrine of immaculate conception, that from that point of conception, Mary remained free of the doctrine that all Christians accept, of the doctrine of original sin, that Mary never sinned again. There's no biblical evidence of that, but that is a a, a strong conviction amongst our Catholic uh, sisters and brothers in the faith. Protestants dialed back 500 years ago the Mary devotion a bit, but not all the way. Mary is the central character in the story of Christmas, aside from Jesus himself. 500 years ago, Luther, Zwingli, and Calvin all called for the honoring of this young woman who was betrothed, not married yet, to Joseph, who took a great risk by allowing God's plan for her life to go forward as she was confronted with suddenly and surprisingly in the moment we read about a few moments ago. There is no Christmas miracle. There is no inbreaking of hope, peace, joy, and love without Mary. Nadia Boltz Weber, one of my favorite thinkers and writers these days, uh, had this to say about Mary. It's our quote at the top of the bulletin this morning. There is a reason Mary is everywhere. I've seen her image all over the world, in cafes in Istanbul, on students' backpacks in Scotland, in a market stall in Jakarta, but I don't think her image is everywhere because she is a reminder to be obedient, and I don't think it has to do with social revolution. Images of Mary remind us of God's favor. Mary is what it looks like to believe that we already are who God says we are. God, through the angel Gabriel, And in that epiphany, in that divine human encounter, did you hear it? God always begins with the same 
message to human beings who are terrified and overwhelmed in the presence of God, so vulnerable in that moment. And God always begins by saying, as Gabriel said, the mouthpiece of God, do not be afraid, Mary. It's always the first message. And then God, in this case, through God's messenger, tells Mary who she is and who she's going to be. And she says, here am I. Let it, me, let it be with me as you have said. To me, Mary is the mere opposite, the New Testament um, reincarnation, if you will, of Abraham, who was Abram in Genesis chapter 12, when this man with great wealth, he was older in life, he and his wife were well on in years, had family, children, grandchildren, many cattle, many possessions, they were comfortable where they lived, and God said, get up and go, and you are I'm calling you to be who you were born to be, even though you have no, no clue about what I'm talking about. I want you to go and just trust me. And Abraham did. Abraham believed God. As the Apostle Paul tells us in the New Testament, God credited that trust as righteousness to Abraham. Abraham didn't have it all figured out. He didn't understand, but he trusted God. In the same way, Mary faced this incredibly terrifying situation. Not only is it scary to be in the presence of this Gabriel character with wings, or who knows what Gabriel looked like, we don't know, we can only imagine, but just think about being pregnant, unmarried, in that culture at that time. You, would, you were sure to be thrown out, kicked to the curb by the man, but not only that, you would have no chance of ever remarrying, no chance of being reintegrated into your own family of origin, no chance of earning a living, of having any status or security in life, let alone respect in the community or love. And yet she said, when he said, you are going to get pregnant, here am I, the servant of the Lord, let it be with me as you have said. And like Abram, the whole story of God's relationship with the world moved forward because Mary said yes. It's fascinating to me that the Christmas story of the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, rings as true as any real life story I've ever read or heard about or experienced in my own life. We discover who we really are in times of vulnerability and stress and sadness and uncertainty. It's sort of counterintuitive. We try to organize our world so it'll unfold in predictable ways so we can take care of ourselves and those we love, but it's not how it works. It's amazing that God chose both with Abram and then with Mary that very realistic moment of uncertainty to enter into their lives and through them into the world, into our lives, so that we can relate to their, God's presence and to the people who had to make a decision. Yes, let it be with me as you have said. In those moments when we think we're out of resources, when we're completely terrified of what might happen, when we realize that we don't have enough to fix it or to make amends, we simply have got to just trust. We think we're lost, that we're doomed, but we're, but, we're, but we're not. And that's what Gabriel says to Mary. You will not be alone. I will always be with you, God says to her, to Abram, to you, and to me. Michael Hendricks tells about a Christmas dinner party he once attended on a, at a beautiful apartment on Park Avenue. And Hendricks said, 
The house was properly decorated, <clears throat> including an electric train set up around the base of this beautiful Christmas tree. One of the host family's children, a little girl, was running the train and showing it to all the guests, but she was running the train too fast, and as it went around a curve, the train derailed. The girl was bent over the train, trying and trying to get it back on the track. And one of the guests, a kindly old man, noticed how, how much trouble she was having and how frustrated she was getting. So the man walked over to the little girl and bent down and with a kind voice said, you can't fix a train like that from above. You have to get down beside it. Then the old man slowly, creakily, laid down on the floor beside the train where he could see where the train and the track were supposed to go together. He invited the girl to get down there with him and he said he showed her how to place the train back on the track so that the grooves and the wheels lined up. What a wonderful way to think about the way that God moves into our lives at Christmas. To think about the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, the invading, if you will, of God's presence into the world. The human race had derailed. And we still, in our own lives, get off track. And we need it, as the humans have always, to get back on track. But it can't be done from above. God had to come down, so to speak, beside us in order to put us back on the track as a human race and as individuals. And Mary invites us to come down into the real world, the world of childbearing, childbirth, child raising, but even more, the real world of making difficult decisions in times of uncertainty and trusting in the power and the promise of love. That's what God did in Jesus Christ. God came and lived among us in the person of his son, Jesus, vulnerable as an infant child, but also through the decisions and the courage and the trust and the faith of vulnerable everyday people like you and me to get us all back on the track of life, to give us that gift of abundant life that we need so much in this broken and troubled world. Thanks be to God, and I look forward the next few days to anticipating together with you the day that will come on Saturday uh, when we welcome God's presence once again into the world. Amen.